What's up, guys? Welcome to Birdwatch. I'm Christian Clark, the Pelicans beat writer for NOLA.com and The Advocate. Here today on Thursday morning after a Pelicans win, Jeff. A Pelicans win on national TV over a pretty good team. Uh, this happened against the Bucks, so I, I guess I shouldn't say, did you know this could happen? But, I mean, how, how surprising was that result to you last night? Because I got to be honest, I, I did not see that coming. Well, it seems like the Pelicans only play well on ESPN. So if they had all of their games on ESPN for the rest of the season, I think they would actually uh, do well. Mark Jackson seems to think that Nikhil Alexander-Walker is the best player of all time because the last <laughs> game he watched was the 37-point game. And that's the only thing he referenced throughout that entire game was, Nikhil's so great. It was like, yeah, you haven't, this, you haven't watched a minute of Nikhil since he uh, scored 37 points against the Clippers. But yeah, they, they played well. You know, it's just two of the last four games they've played incredibly well, and the other two they've played terribly. Uh, in the Rockets and the well, oh, Sacramento, lost. the Timberwolves, no, Sacramento. Sacramento, yes, they got single-handedly outscored by De'Aaron Fox in the fourth quarter. So yeah, so I mean, two games, two of the last four games they've beaten playoff-caliber teams, <laughs> and then the other two games they've completely laid a laid an egg against you know fringe playoff teams. So yeah, this is this is the Pelicans, baby. Yeah, they, I mean, they went three and two on this homestand, and it was it was kind of funny because I mean, going into that Phoenix game, like I gotta be honest, I mean, everyone I talked to, it seemed like there were um, red red lights and like alarm bells were going off. I mean, things I think were were pretty bad after that that loss to Sacramento. I mean, there was a lot of frustration just I think up and down the organization. I mean, I I have a hard time stressing how much the Pelicans just needed a night like that against the Phoenix Suns. Um, I think there was a lot to chew on um, from that game, Um, a lot of encouraging signs. I want to start with this. Um, The defense that Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram played, um, Stan Gundy has desperately tried to get those guys to dig in, commit on the defensive end. Um, Since the Pelicans returned from their six-game road trip, He's actually started watching film with just those two guys after every game, kind of you know, going over the defensive possessions. And he shows some good stuff, too. It's not just, here's what you screwed up on. But there is real time and effort being devoted to getting these guys to become better two-way players. I mean, I, I like the number of times that Stan has said, you know, my challenge is to figure out ways um, for them to get cleaner looks on the offensive end. And their challenge is to commit on defense and, you know, get up to par with like the Jason Tatum's and the Jalen Browns of the world and the Kawhi Leonard's and the Paul George. Like he keeps reminding them of, of these superstar duos who are two way players. I mean, there's been a lot of time and effort devoted to getting those two guys to try to play defense. And I thought this was uh, really good defensive performances from both guys against Phoenix. I, I liked what I saw. Yeah. And I'm just counting up something really quickly here, which yeah, it's, it stood out. So the Pelicans are 6-0 and this season in games where they held opponents to under 110 points. You know, sometimes it is that simple. If you can defend, uh, you have a better chance to win the game. And that's what happened last night. I think there is some element to, you know, 
there is regression throughout the NBA throughout a season. And sometimes you're going to catch teams on a, on an off night and you need to be able to beat those teams on an off night. I don't think the Suns played particularly well yesterday, especially uh, to start the third quarter and uh, to start the fourth quarter. Um, and they kind of just caved at the end. But, you know, those are games that even against teams that have played poorly in the past and even earlier this season, the Pelicans still found a way to lose. So that is a that is an encouraging thing. And when you can defend consistently, you're able to take advantage of those situations when Devin Booker is having an off night, when, you know, the energy isn't there on the other side of the floor and you can put them away because you're you're not just giving up easy bucket after easy bucket because that's a very quick way to make a team that's playing poorly suddenly feel a lot better about themselves. And the Pelicans didn't allow that to happen last night. Um, they didn't allow that to happen in the first half against the Bucks, which is, you know, you can talk about the scoring in that Bucks game. They won that game in the first half on the defensive end. Uh, I mean, they built a 29-point lead in that game, and most of that was built on shutting down uh, the perimeter offense for the Bucks, and then just kind of forcing Giannis to beat you. And, you know, that's what they've done in the games they've, they've won. They've played well in. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that is encouraging. I thought Zion, you can look at kind of the more in-depth defensive, like, uh, actions that he's doing, but I think just from a energy perspective, he looks great last night. He just, yeah, that lob dunk he had at the end of the game was such a good example of the Zion you're seeing this year versus Zion you're seeing last year, where at the end of a long, grueling game that he touched the ball a ton in, he was able to sprint down the floor and go up for a lob that was probably high enough that only he could get it. <laughs> uh, Eric Bledsoe just threw it underhand. And when he released it, I was like, oh, that's that's way too high. And Zion got up there and got it. Um, and so I, I've been very impressed with the energy he's had throughout the last few games because this has been a grueling stretch for them. It's been a grueling season. Uh, and he's looked better and better. I completely agree with you about Zion's energy. Um, Stan said that this was Zion's best game of the season. And, I mean, I, I totally agree. Just he impacted the game in so many different ways. Um, I, I think you could say it was probably the best game of his career. I mean, he's only had 44 games or whatever. Um, I just want to stay on the defense for a minute. So I, I rewatched this game this morning, and I was really trying to go in with a clear mind of like how much of this was the Pelicans and how much of this was Phoenix missing shots. The Suns shot. I mean, the Suns are a good three point shooting team. They 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 went eight of 35 from three. Like that that's not going to happen a whole lot. But even on the rewatch, it it seemed like the Pelicans defense, like it seemed pretty real. I mean, there was a possession at the end of the third quarter where they, they ran The Suns ran a high pick and roll. Uh, the Pelicans blitzed it. Josh Hart tagged the roll man. And then he got out and, and contested the corner three really well. And like, I think Nader, I mean, barely even grazed the rim. Like there were a lot of those types of defensive possessions where the Pelicans rotated quickly. They looked connected. Like there weren't the breakdowns where, you know, somebody doesn't pick up the cutter and they get a wide open layup and like three guys are standing around with their palms raised towards the air. There was none of that. Like it was, it was extremely encouraging. I thought, and you know, Stan made the point too, that he actually thought they played pretty good defense against Sacramento um, until the end when Darren Fox just went nuts. And I kind of have to agree with that. I mean, really, I thought where that Sacramento game got away was the start of the fourth quarter. Um, they had like a point lead and they have to go to the Zion at the five lineup um, and he and he just really struggled. He looked fatigued. Um, you know, his energy level was so much better in this game, like you said. And I thought Brandon Ingram impacted the game with his length too. It was he got like four or five deflections. I think he had two steals. It was one of those games where I'm like, 
Brandon Ingram, your your wingspan is 20 feet long. I don't understand why you're not getting five, six deflections every game. I don't understand why you're not more impactful as a defender. Um, but, I mean, it, it was great. I mean, you know, I think Brandon Ingram has the tools to, like, you know, be a plus on that end some nights. Um, and I think Zion does too. Like, I think they can do it. Um, they, they just haven't. And, you know, we, we finally saw both of them do it in the same game against Phoenix. Yeah. For Brandon Ingram, you know, the comp I always go back to, and you kind of have to, just because of the similarities in their uh, build is Kevin Durant has always been a guy who, you know, hasn't been a, a, incredible an incredible defender all the time but when he needs to be he can turn it on and that's what you've seen from him in you know the, the MVP season and uh especially with the Warriors when he didn't have as much uh you know emphasis on his offensive game and he had yeah, a bit more energy to spread around throughout the game uh and that's what Brandon Ingram needs to be for this team he needs to be a guy who you know he's he's not going to be an all in a first team all defense guy but he needs to be a guy who can lock down who who can get engaged and and slow guys down um and that's what he was last night the other thing of the last two games obviously they were playing without Steven Adams against Sacramento and uh, I actually I agree for three quarters of that game the defense was very good considering the uh you know lack of your best defensive player in my opinion uh and Willie Hernan Gomez had an excellent game he earned the run against the Suns another excellent game um and I think that you know as far as Willie is concerned, just a guy who you know you can throw in there and isn't going to get bullied, isn't going to get pushed around, is going to get to his spots, is really important uh, from a team defense perspective. And it allows guys to rotate uh, the correct ways and not constantly be trying to make up for um, guys getting beat, getting in disadvantaged positions. And I think that's that extends to the perimeter when you have guys running out on shots. And, um, you know, I think I, I don't you don't want to heap everything on Jackson Hayes. You don't want to over be overly critical of a young guy who's still learning. But I think it's pretty clear that they're a better defensive team with him off the floor, uh, whatever way it is. You, he's, there's been two games this season where he hasn't played a minute. He's been a DMPCD. Uh, those two games are the Bucks and the Suns, uh, this last one. They won both those games, and they led by at least 28 points in both. The defense just looked better. You know, they didn't – Willie didn't play against the Bucks. They went more with the small ball Zion and Melly lineups, which I think worked – can work well when Melly's doing his job. <laughs> uh, but it, the defense is always a team thing. And I think it just works better with Willie in there than it does with Jackson. I I, I could not agree with you more on that point. Um, I mean, you know, it, was, it wasn't that surprising to me, I guess, that, that Stan Van Gundy made the change of, you know, Jackson Hayes was the guy who got the start against Sacramento. And then two nights later, uh, he was out of the rotation altogether. I mean, that was that was a pretty rough outing for him. Uh, you know, in 11 minutes, he picked up four fouls. Just, he's still not at the point where he understands where to be. He still doesn't seem to have the strength to just like go vertical consistently. He's always like bending over and hacking and fouling. Um, you know, I, I think I've said it before. Center is the position in the NBA where just just throw out the box score line. Like, who cares about the box score numbers at the center position? A lot of the time, I think. You you really have to to watch the game um, to, to just see how those guys are doing, and especially on the defensive end. I mean, so much of center is just understanding where to be and when to be there and, like, helping and recovering on, on pick and rolls. And, like, Willie Hernan Gomez is just better in those parts of the game than Jackson Hayes. Like, you're rarely 
going to get a crazy highlight play from him probably. But, I mean, he's just so much more solid defensively. And, I mean, you know, we can have this conversation about, like, do you need to develop young guys versus how much you want to try to win right now? Um, I don't know the exact right answer to that, but, like, I know if you want to make things just feel a little bit better right now and, like, I mean, they, they just need some positive progress. I can't argue with Stan Van Gundy's move to, to put Willie in there. I mean, it just it just makes sense to me. Yeah, and, and he's, a, I don't know, he's an easy guy to root for. I think you had a tweet last night after he had that block, which is, you know, don't bring that weak shit into Willie Hernan Gomez's tastefully decorated warehouse district uh, bachelor His pad. His warehouse district bachelor pad, baby. <laughs> he's probably got a couple of lava lamps in there, I enjoyed you that know? Tweet. Yeah. What do you what do you think he decorates his bachelor a disco pad ball? with? Yeah, lava. I think he's got some lava lamps. I think he's got a water bed, maybe like a couple of beanbag chairs. Definitely a sweet TV. I assume he has a loft bed. <laughs> you know, like a loft where you just kind of like go up a ladder. Yeah. That's, that's okay. That's a good call. Yeah, water beds are very like nineties. I don't I'm not sure what I was talking about there. I'm outdated. Yeah. Maybe like a sand bed. Remember that episode of Seinfeld? The crew had a sand bed and it, <laughs> it collapsed and his, his apartment turned into a beach. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, he has a loft. I, I don't know, but he's, yeah, he's, he's, it's very difficult to kind of look at a team and, and kind of project how just a league average defender can improve a team. And I think that's what Willie Hernan Gomez is. He is a, you know, replacement level center who will do his job. And he's, he's big, he's strong, he's there on the offensive glass, he's not getting in the way, he can set good screens. And <laughs> when you talk about a guy like Zion who is trying to get to the rim, that's important. You know, a guy who isn't going to get pushed in the way. You know, like well, when Jackson is setting a screen and Zion's trying to get into the lane, uh, he needs to be able to hold that screen. And at this point, I've seen him get run through about as often as he's uh, he's you know, held up on a screen and that just crowds the paint and he can't extend the floor, you know, neither can Willie, but again, he can hold his ground. And, uh, it, it's, I think he's very limited on the offensive side of the ball. And he saw that in some key moments down the stretch in Sacramento or against Sacramento. And, uh, that's where you would much rather have Steven Adams on the floor. Uh, just a bit more consistency there. But again, you're talking about your backup center. And that's you just need a guy who, when you throw him on the floor, you know what to expect. And I think I, I was surprised we didn't see more of Willie throughout the early stages of the season because he just seemed like a guy who would make sense when you're trying to figure out your your rotation. And uh, I, I didn't know if there was some, some injury he was working through or something. But uh, I, I really think it was just about they wanted to see Jackson Hayes and – uh, he's your eight pick from last year and you have to get him on the floor somehow. But, um, when you see how they played with, without him on the floor, uh, it's, I think it's become a pretty clear, um, situation there. Jackson has got plenty of chances. I mean, he played more than a thousand minutes last year. They, they gave him plenty of opportunities this year. He's just, he's just not ready yet. Um, I, I think it's as simple as that. It, it might be a while before he's ready. Um, let's get into, to Zion. Um, one quick point I think I, I want to try to make before we get into just his sheer brilliance in this game against the Suns because what he did was absolutely ridiculous. Um, I think a lot of media members since he came into the league have have like salivated over this idea of Zion playing the five. I'm going to be honest, I was one of those people. Like I wrote a thing during the bubble of like, oh my God, Bam Adebayo is this undersized center and like you know, maybe the Pelicans could go to, to this look with Zion at the five and flashes down the road. 
Um, I don't know. Maybe that's a card they can pull like many years down the road. But I think right now it's very clear that Zion is not ready to be a five, even in stretches. Like that was laid out very clearly in, in to start the fourth quarter against Sacramento. Like he cannot be a team's defensive anchor. And part of me wonders too how much he even enjoys doing that. Like the more I hear from Zion and and read about him, I think he might like doing um, you know perimeter things a lot. Like I don't know that he wants to be this like guy who just bangs down low. I mean, he brought up the fact before the game on Wednesday, like I was a point guard in middle school, the early parts of high school. Like I was the guy initiating the offense and then I just got way freaking bigger. Um, so yeah, I don't even know how much like, I mean, he's going to do his job. Like he's just a, a good teammate, but like, I don't know how much like in his heart of hearts, he truly wants to play center. And I just, I just don't think he's very good at that. So, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's something we just, uh, don't see again for a while. Like maybe that's something we just revisit way down the road. Yeah, I think it makes sense in certain matchups, right? Like uh, they they went with that against the Bucks, and I think that they knew going in that Jackson Hayes wasn't going to be able to hold up against you know Brook Lopez and Giannis kind of pack in the paint. So they tried to stretch the floor, and I, and it worked in that game. You know the Bucks really struggled. They took advantage of it in the second half, but uh, they were already behind by too much. And you know I think in situations where uh, the game is calling for that. Uh, type of changeup, it makes sense. But yeah, I agree. You don't want to see him be kind of your regular center. Uh, it, the team that makes sense to look at, you know, the Warriors, Draymond Green, obviously very different athletes, but size-wise they're similar. Skill set-wise, they're they're going to be similar from a from a offensive perspective. Uh, and if you watch the Warriors recently, I got to watch a couple of their games over the last couple of weeks. Uh, just look how they you look how they're having Draymond Green uh, initiate the offense when he gets the ball off the board. He literally puts his head down and sprints up the floor and just gets it up for and allows Stephen Curry to get into his set without the, you know, having to expend the energy of, of bringing the ball to the floor and, and having people key on him. He's able to get to his spots. He's, the other guys are able to get to their spots. And, you know, he's not taking it all the way to the rim. He's getting it up the floor and forcing the defense to react. And I think, you know, Stan has talked about how he wants Zion to be more aggressive, bringing the ball to the floor. And I think uh, when you watch how Draymond Green is doing it now. I think that's a very good kind of uh, comparison to make in terms of how that can be utilized in the offense. Because uh, Draymond Green is obviously, a, you know, a world's better passer at this point in his career than Zion is. And you worry about turnovers uh, and maybe him getting a little too aggressive and picking up offensive fouls uh, because guys are going to try to step in and take charges, even though it's, you know, a risk to their lifestyle. And, uh, you know, that's something you have to figure out. But um, I think I think that is when you look at kind of how Zion profiles in the scope of the offense, I think that's a big part of how he can impact the game. Yeah, one of my um, one of my favorite things about watching Zion is just watching him brutalize seven footers. I mean, there was a play last night where uh, him and Frank Kaminsky, uh, I think Frank tried to like stonewall him. Um, and Zion missed the shot, but he caught, he hit Frank so hard that Frank just fell down. You know, a guy who's seven foot, 250, 60 pounds. And then Zion just, just laid it back up. Um, but I, I think the thing you, you bring yeah, up about not, Draymond. He's not feeling like a tank today. No, no. He looked, uh, he looked like a Chevy Cobalt. He, he looked pretty <laughs> small in that play. Uh, it, it didn't go well for him. I mean, Zion just does it all the time to That's guys who are like. That's a perfect car for that. <laughs> Zion does it all the time to guys who are seven foot and it, it just, it hasn't even like worn off at all for me. I mean, it's just 
fun and great every single time he does it. Um, I, I think you brought up a good point about like the way Draymond can can you know grab and go for Golden State. I mean, the thing, one of the things that stuck about Zion's night offensively was just all the different ways he scored baskets in this game. I think we've definitely seen more point Zion, initiator Zion in the past like two weeks, a month. I mean, I think that's something that Stan McGunty honestly has wanted Zion to do since he took over. And I think even Alvin Gentry wanted Zion to do a little bit of that. I mean, the problem last year was that Zion, like he was never really grabbing defensive rebounds. I mean, it's hard to go when you're not getting the rebound. Um, he, he's done a better job on the defensive glass this year. And man, I mean, he, he was scoring off the bounce. He was scoring as the rollman. He was scoring on post-ups, putbacks. He even hit a three. I mean, I just saw a whole lot in his bag. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing so much more than we did like those first 20 games where it was just like, okay, get Zion the ball like 10 feet away from the hoop. And he's either just going left and leaping or he's taking like one jab step and going right. Uh, I just saw so much more from him. Yeah, movement off the ball has been a lot better. Um, he had one play late in the game where Nikhil found him on a lob. And I don't know what, I think Frank, Frank the Tank, uh, form, Frank, formerly known as the Tank, was trying to front him, and he just completely lost connection. And Zion was literally the only person moving on the play and caught the ball two inches from the rim and, and dunked it. It was a good find by Nikhil, who another guy who I think has been a bit more uh, down to earth in his decision making. <laughs> uh, he he feels seems like he has about three or four bad decisions hardwired into his brain. But I thought he played well last night. I, I, but I digress on that. Um, yeah, Zion. While his bag has not extended away from the rim, uh, as a lot of people might have wanted it to, he has seemed to develop, you know, a lot more ways to score at the rim. And for a guy who is going to do a bulk of his damage in the paint, regardless of how much he expands his range, that's important. That spin move he has uh, when oh he starts going God. downhill and then just pirouettes at like 90 miles an hour. I want to see a sports science episode on like the rotational <laughs> speed. It's like a tornado. Um, you know, he plays in the blender, so you can't say he puts them in the blender. So I'm decided I'm going to call it the cement mixer because he's That's roughly better. the size of a, you know, of a cement mixer. And also when he does that, it seems like, uh, the guys he's going against are just, their feet are just glued to the floor because the, the size at his size spinning, just try to try to envision being able to get in front of that. It's impossible. You know, he's going to catch you with an elbow and he's going to knock you three feet to the right. And you know, that type of of, you know, balance and, and agility at that size is nearly impossible to defend. And that's why, that's how you go 12 for 14 from the field against a team that knows exactly what you're trying to do. Uh, and you, it's, you, it's happened so consistently that you lose track of it. Uh, ESPN flashed up a stat last night. I think 33 of his first 43 games, he scored 20 plus points. The only person who did more, who did that more times was Michael Jordan. Uh, so anytime that's the, that's, it's one, two, Michael Jordan and you, you're probably pretty good. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's blocked more shots recently and that's, that's another sign of the energy coming back a little bit. Uh, like I said, he had that, that sprint out and, uh, and alley-oop dunk late in the game. Uh, I've been, I've been very impressed with how he's handled the last few games, especially because, you know, the mood was not great after, the, <laughs> after that, uh, Rockets loss and, I keep forgetting Sacramento. Yeah, after the Rockets and Sacramento game, I, I feel like there could not have been very, very many positive vibes in that locker room. And for a young guy to kind of come out and just put, make a, have a statement game 
Uh, I think that's a very good sign for him. So I'm with you 100%. We need a sports science episode on or segment on Zion spin move. I need John Brinkus saying in his John Brinkus voice, <laughs> Zion Williamson generated 90 newtons of force on his right to left spin. <laughs> that is enough to level a three-story, two-and-a-half bathroom house in one fell swoop. Yeah, we need right. we need, we need that That is to roughly equivalent to a Category 1 hurricane. <laughs> yeah. It honestly yeah. might be, man. It's I would I would not want to be a guy in the way of that. I mean, the strength is just insane. the The efficiency is is just ridiculous. Honestly, I mean, I've I've n- never seen somebody. I mean, a six six guy who can just go over the top and and or even like go around. I mean, bigger, taller players and just finish like this. I mean, there's a play early in the first quarter where. Him and DeAndre Ayton, you know, who's a good six foot eleven, seven feet tall, both went up. Like they both timed their jumps at the same time. And Zion just like hung in the air longer and and shot it over Ayton's arms and got it to go down. I mean, obviously the hang time is incredible, but the touch around the basket is is just completely insane. I mean, I I can't believe how how consistently he gets those shots to go down. Since that Sacramento game in Sacramento, not the most recent one. He has been on a freaking tear. Uh, nine games, he's averaging 26 points per game, shooting 60, 65% from the field, six and a half rebounds, uh, three and a half assists. I, I mean, that's that's a nine-game stretch where a guy's putting up 25 on, on 65% shooting. I mean, you, you, you just don't see that. Like, that's – I mean, Zion is unprecedented. He's one of one. There's no one you can truly compare him to, but like the best comparison I keep going back to is is baby scrunched down check with better athleticism. Yeah, and yeah, like you pointed out, you know, this is against DeAndre Ayton. You know, this is the number one pick. This is a guy you uh, who profiles to be in a dominant defensive center. Uh, so it's not like he's out there doing this against the backup. Like you know, this, these are he did it against Brook Lopez and Giannis. Uh, you know. The criticism has been like, oh, well, he's predictable. You know exactly what he's going to do. But there's a difference between knowing what someone's going to do and actually being able to stop it, right? Yes. You know, you've got the Tyree Kill on the Chiefs. Everyone knows he's going to try to run by you, but no one's been able to run fast enough to stay on top of him. And <laughs> it's the same situation here. You know, if you can't stop it, then it, he's going to keep doing it. You know, and the fact that he hits the three is gravy. You know, he says three, three straight games, he's attempted three of them. Has he missed a three this year? Is he shooting 100%? He's, he's missed a couple, but he's made one in three straight games. Yeah, he's probably, you know, I don't think he'd qualify, but he's probably their best percentage three-point shooter because I think he's at least like 50% in the field. <laughs> uh, but it's as annoying as the season has been from a, from a fan's perspective, I have to imagine, you know, this is the guy. This is your the needle of your team one way or the other. And if he's, if his, the needle for him is pointing up, the needle for the team is pointing up. And Whatever happens, whatever in terms of you know how the team develops around him, uh, whether Jackson Hayes can be a reliable center, whether Kyra Lewis can get enough minutes to show what he has at the point guard spot, whether you trade Lonzo Ball and JJ Redick, whatever, uh, he is the franchise cornerstone. And <laughs> so, regardless of how this season goes, if he is uh, progressing and becoming an elite NBA superstar, you have to feel good about this team. I mean, I, I completely agree, and. As far as um, like in an emotional standpoint, like 
um, you know, him taking the reins as a leader. This is just me kind of reading body language and like my interpretation on moments in the game. But I feel like I've seen some dog from him like the past couple of games. Like I think I think I've seen some real frustration over the way this season has gone. And I don't think, I mean, I think it's easy to put that frustration in the wrong place and like take it out on teammates. I don't think he's doing that. I think what what I'm kind of seeing from him is like, like I'm just pissed off that we're bad and like I, I can do something about this and I am going to do something about this. Um, you know, someone, someone asked me after the game, like, uh, Oh, you know, like next game, you might be the fastest or the second fastest player in NBA history to get to a thousand points. He's like, I, I mean, I literally don't care. Like he looked disgusted by the question. He's like, we, we need to rack up some wins. Like that's, that's part of what you loved about him coming into the NBA. Like this dude is a hundred percent about winning. And, you know, I think we're starting to see some of that. I mean, I think, you know, as he finds his voice more and more and and continues to take on even more of a leadership role and becomes like an emotional leader i think that's only positives for the new orleans pelicans yeah and and you kind of hit on what's always a wild card with you know top nba picks or top picks in any sport really you know these guys are the number one pick for a reason they're the best player at the college level or you know whatever level they came out of and when you're the best player at your at the level of basketball you're playing odds are You've won a lot of games. You were on a winning team. You're used to a certain level of success. And that's not the case. When you get into the NBA and you get picked number one overall, you're going to a bad team unless there was a trade somehow uh, or you're the Celtics. But, you know, that's always a wild card. And how does a player who has won at every level of basketball he's been at uh, adjust and react to being on a team that's going to lose? Being on a team that is not a favorite to win a title, being on a team that uh, is trying to figure out what it is. It can't just be you anymore because the, every team in the NBA has college superstars on it. <laughs> you know, you don't get to the NBA unless you were a star in college. And, uh, you know, I, I think the way he's handled that has been impressive. Uh, he doesn't talk as much as, you know, a lot of top picks have. You know, he, he's not as outgoing as you know, a guy like LeBron or Kevin Durant, guys like that who were very outspoken. On, he sticks you know, to the, the script all the time. How they're you, playing. Yeah, you you can't get him off his script. I mean, he sticks to the script all the time right. for the most part. Right. Yeah, and and it could be, and it's very easy to get frustrated in that situation. Um, and whether he has, he hasn't, you know, made it an issue, and that's a good thing for the team. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, Zion is a very unique person, a very unique player, and. It's just, you know, to see him as mature as he is at, at that age is, is impressive. Jeff, I think another reason why the Pelicans looked like such a different team against the Phoenix Suns was we got good Lonzo Ball. I've, I've maintained for two seasons in a row that he's the team's biggest swing player. I mean, I think even dating back to last year, generally speaking, when Lonzo Ball played well, the New Orleans Pelicans fared pretty well. And I think for the most part, that's been the case this year. Um, the three ball is starting to go down. He went four of seven. But I think it's, I think there's so much more to it than the three ball. Um, you know, when he's engaged, he's a really good defender. I mean, I thought he did an excellent job against Devin Booker last night. And as is the big thing for him, night in and night out, um, 
he showed a willingness to drive the basketball. There was a play in the third quarter where they got a fast break opportunity. He drove the length of the floor right into DeAndre Ayton's chest and laid it up. Like you could just you could just see everybody on the bench fist pumping. I mean, it's it's just such a big deal for the Pelicans when he's willing to drive the basketball. And here's here's like one specific nitty gritty basketball question tweak I have. Lonzo, I don't think he's a very good finisher off of one foot. Like for whatever reason, he just he lacks explosion. It seems like to me. I wonder what it would look like if he like jump stopped and tried to be more of a a, a power finisher than like um, a finesse like one foot finisher. I mean, it just that that so far hasn't worked for him. And like that play against Aiton just kind of made me think like, what if he was just like jumping off of two feet more often when when he got inside. Um, I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a coach, but it was just something I thought about. Yeah. And guys like, uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, that's how they have become consistent NBA scorers as they get into the paint and, you know, they put their, they put their shoulders in there and they get to the rim however they need to. And they, they use their balance and their footwork to get in. And that's just not what Lonzo has done. He's constantly trying to, uh, shoot from angles and kind of use his long arms and loop the ball around people and just hasn't been consistent. Um, how many free throws, if you, ha- if, you, if you haven't already looked, how many free throws would you guess Lonzo Ball has shot this season um, in 516 minutes of basketball? Uh, I'm going to say 14. Wow. Did you look? Right? Did you cheat? No, I exactly swear to God I didn't cheat. Uh, I mean, this is something exactly I track, 14. but I, I didn't look it up. All right, I've, that, was, that was pretty lucky. I knew it was like somewhere in the teens. <laughs> I knew it was like slightly give it less than that's one just, per game. That's just being prepared. <laughs> that's just being prepared for a question. I did not tell you I was going to ask about for anyone anyone who thinks we just scripted this. That actually was genuine. Um, yeah, 9 for 14 on the season, which is actually probably, let's see, not quite uh, the best percentage of his career. No, it is. He's shooting the best percentage of his career if it's 64.3%. And while that sounds bad, keep in mind in the 2018 season, he shot 41% from the free throw line. Uh, he shot... Almost the same percentage from the free throw line as he did from the three point line. Um, so, you know, he's actually making them at a reasonable rate this year. He's just not getting there. And he's not getting there because he's not uh, being aggressive to the rim. And whether that's intentional, whether that's just, you know, just not part of his game, no matter how much it would make sense for it to be, uh, I don't know. But 14 free throws <laughs> from a guy who has the ball in his hand very frequently and is playing a legitimate number of minutes and is a starter is just not going to get it done. Um, you know, so, I mean, how many games have they played? You know, he's averaging uh, almost, you know, less than 0.6 free throws a game uh, at your point guard spot. And that's, and that's just not – it's just not a recipe for consistent offense. You know, when you watch these – when you watch a lot of good teams, they – are consistently able to score because they're getting to the free throw line and their and their guards are being aggressive and getting into the paint and forcing the defense to react. You know, when's the last time you saw a, a team uh, foul out an important player <laughs> against the Pelicans? It just hasn't happened. Um, and uh, I think that you know whether he's still on the team in the next couple of weeks, whether uh, they move him and he goes somewhere else. No matter where he ends up, that's going to be a part of his game that's going to continue to be an issue. Yeah, and even like even more than like him specifically getting to the basket and finishing, which I think is very important. There was like a pace to his game that I thought created opportunities for others. Like 
he was getting it, the Pelicans into their offense early in the half court. Like even when he couldn't take it to the house in fast break situations, like I just thought it created opportunities for the Pelicans because like they were already, you know, like making the first pass at like, you know, 20 seconds on the shot clock and like all these half chances, they really add up over the course of possession. Like if you, if you just, you know, attack and attack and attack and attack like five, six times in a row and, and make good crisp passes, like the odds are you're going to get a good shot. Like that's just a good process. And the Pelicans did that last night. Um, you know, I thought, you know, the, the backdrop with which that really good game happened was really interesting. Like you just said, I mean, the Pelicans played their best game of the season while like, I'm sure everybody in the locker room is aware that uh, a trade or probably even multiple trades are coming. And I think that's, I mean, a fascinating dynamic. I mean, JJ Redick, I mean, I, I mean, let's be honest, like the odds of him being on this roster by the end of the year are extremely slim. Um, you know, Lonzo ball, I would, I would say is similar and, and maybe even Eric Bledsoe. Um, like, what is that? I mean, to you, what does that say about a team that like, they finally have a performance like this when, you know, like two or three of the guys are, are potentially about to get moved. Yeah. And I think JJ Redick also had a decent game, which was nice to see. He had a couple shots, um, maybe improve that trade value slightly, but yeah, it's, this is going to be a team that struggles. There's going to be a team that has to fight through adversity all season long. And that's, you know, true of every team from, to some extent because of the coronavirus pandemic and uh, the issues involved in long road trips and difficulties uh, on the road. And uh, there's going to be inconsistent performances. But yeah, I mean, Zion Williamson was plus 37 in that game. <laughs> uh, that's, you know, that's really good. You know, even if you don't really like uh, plus minuses in box scores, which I don't, you know, when you have a guy that's plus 37 uh, and the next highest guy is plus 25, yeah, it's a pretty good game. But defense is always going to be the um, wild card in these matchups for the Pelicans because if they if if they're putting out the energy and playing defense and holding guys to holding teams to under 110 points, they're winning games. You know, <laughs> I think I think it's it really is that simple a lot of the time. And while there are trades looming, and I don't think that it's, it should be affecting you know the the core of this team. So. I, I don't know if I want to give them too much credit for coming out and playing a good game under those circumstances because, you know, one way or another, you're going to have the core of this team still together. You know, Brandon Ergner isn't going anywhere. Zion Williamson isn't going anywhere. Steven Adams isn't going anywhere. And yeah. those are the guys who you really need to rely on. Um, J.J. Redick has spent the latter part of his career knowing that uh, he could get moved. He's the type of guy, especially as a veteran, who would always make sense to add for a contending team down the stretch. So I don't think that's anything new for him. Lonzo Ball, um, he's the guy who, you know, if you want to say you're impressed with someone, uh, a guy who never stops getting talked about, whether it's good or bad. Uh, he played well, and and that's a good thing for him. Um, it would be very easy for him to kind of pack it in and sulk in the corner and just wait to see where he lands. He isn't doing that, and I think he deserves... He deserves some some praise for that. Um, I just, as far as JJ Redick is concerned, I just can't shake the feeling he's going to end up on the Celtics <laughs> in a couple weeks. Uh, but that's that's just kind of where I'm looking at. So Stan Van Gundy called that a roadmap, a, a blueprint for how the Pelicans can be successful, and I agree. And I agree, like I think that, like you, 
can be a blueprint even even if they have you know a different backcourt two weeks from now. I mean, the Pelicans can take care of the ball. They had seven turnovers. They they can win the rebounding battle. Uh, I believe they won that forty four to thirty nine. And they can dig in on the defensive end. And if they do those three things, as as Stan Van Gundy says, like every day, twice a day, then you know they're going to have a chance to win most nights. I mean, this was one of the few times we've seen them do all three things of those in in a, in one game. And look at the result. I mean, that's that's like what a Stan Van Gundy team is or has been in the past. Like it's a high floor team because it does those things. And the Pelicans like just haven't been able to do those things for the most part to start this year. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't have much more to add, though. Jeff, what's in your uh, what's in your? I mean, you're not a bachelor, but what's in your bachelor pad? How do you decorate your My bachelor, bachelor pad? pad? Do you, yeah, do you have a do you have a loft bed? Well, I I have lived with my significant other for about five years now, so there is I haven't had a bachelor pad in a while. But this is my office, so this is like the closest thing I have to it. And as you can see, I have an entire backdrop here of bobbleheads. <laughs> that's my uh, that's my bachelor lifestyle. I have uh, you can see I have Uncle Drew and Rondo, uh, and then I have the king cake baby they gave out a few years back, and then <laughs> Julius Randall's over there too. So it's a uh, that's my starting five. That's Michael Thomas in the middle. He's not a bobblehead, but I think that's a pretty solid starting five. Uh, king cake baby is is the five. He's the enforcer. No no sand bed right. You, you sand bed. No, no sand bed. Oh, a sand not, bed. No, you don't a sand I do bed? not have a sand bed. Okay. Uh, but I can say that I my when I grew up, when I was growing up, my parents had a water bed, and I remember when I was about twelve years old. Uh, I don't know how, but it exploded and flooded the top floor of my house. Oh my uh, god! We had to like tear it all out. <laughs> uh, we had to muck it. You know, like if your house gets flooded, and you have to just tear everything out and muck the entire house. That's it literally was that and it all seeped through the ceiling into the bottom floor and uh yeah so i have like i have waterbed ptsd to some extent um so if if willie does have a waterbed and i expect you to find that out uh next time you speak with him uh let him know that i have some warnings for him i think that's the image we're going to leave you with this week uh waterbeds <laughs> are, are hazardous they're dangerous and thank they're god they're, they're outdated now because what, what were we even doing <laughs> I don't know, man. All right. Thank you guys for listening this week. We will uh, we will talk to you again next week. Hopefully uh, they can keep this good juju going. Peace, y'all.